politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberties at a minute's notice to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze Media. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another exciting week of broadcast here on Monday, March 22nd. And folks, this is actually the anniversary of the Stamp Act. That one act of tyranny that really pushed the colonists over the edge catalyzed their formation of these committees of correspondence between the state legislatures. They crafted a declaration of rights and grievances. They knew their rights. They knew what needed to be done, and they fought a revolution. When are we going to have enough? I keep asking that question. What is it going to take? So there's a lot going on that I want to talk about through the prism of what went on in South Dakota with Governor Kristi Noem and the transgender bill because to me that perfectly embodies the fight that we have on our hands in these supermajority red states. It perfectly illustrates why we need these Liberty Strike Force teams. Again, you could sign up at conaction.network. We have like 1,500 people signed up across the country. I know I am getting to your state. We are slowly forming teams. I got to find the right team leader in each state, and we're usually going to have a few teams uh, in a lot of the bigger states divided by region, but but we need it. We need it because people are asleep. We need it because the Republican politicians only pay attention to the special interests. We need it because our voice needs to be heard. We need our agitators to threaten, pressure, cajole, get active on our issues. So we're going to have that. There's a lot of other stuff going on um, that I am seeing on COVID mask news we could get into. We have the Pentagon um, lecturing soldiers on why BLM and Antifa are not a problem, but right-wingers are. And then, of course, yeah, we have the transgender fight in in South Dakota I want to get to a little bit later. But first, a word from today's sponsor. What if I told you I could get you a $60,000, $70,000 HR manager for just 99 bucks a month? Bambi has you covered. As you well know, HR issues can literally kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regs, all this stuff. That, by the way, they should be relaxing in a real stimulus bill for small businesses. Of course, they don't. Bambi has a tailor-made HR system just for your small business. Basically, for 99 bucks a month flat rate, uh, Bambi gives you an HR manager. Not some random person you call up. You get a different person every time, but the same person that you could always you know, correspond with, phone, email, real-time chat. They deal with onboarding, terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business. And again, they help you manage your day-to-day employee interactions for 99 bucks a month. It's month-to-month. You could cancel any time. No hidden fees. And it, they actually start with a free HR audit. So it doesn't cost you anything if you go to Bambi.com conservative 
right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash conservative. You did not open your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Again, that is BAM to the B, B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash conservative. Now, folks, now I was thinking today, ultimately, as we saw with the Stamp Act, the supreme power is in our hands. As Noah Webster said, the supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops that can be on any pretense raised in the United States. Now, where things have changed is obviously the weaponry, but at least at a political level, without dealing with arms, that is true. We just need to say no. When are we going to start saying no to our masters? I'm getting emails from people even in places like Northwest Arkansas, where they took off the mask mandate statewide, but the school boards are saying, look, three-quarters of the people who contact us say they want the mask mandate. Now, they could be lying, but I think, I mean, we, we see it's true. A good chunk of the 75 million people who voted for Trump on this issue are somewhat bought into it. Now, I do also think that 99% of the Karens will contact their school boards, and a much smaller percentage of our people do that. So that's really what we need our, our teams for. I also want to discuss at some point today or tomorrow lawsuits, how we could use the legal system to our benefit. And folks, this is something that I think we've realized as consensus with all the team leaders I've spoken to so far, this is really the top issue. The masking of our children. Truly unbelievable. I've always said, in my mind, it's worse for schools to be open with masking than to be remote. I know I'm in the minority on that, but I think I'm right. My sister was over at uh, um, her friend's house, you know, middle age, in her 40s. And all of a sudden, this woman's 12-year-old daughter comes barreling down the stairs and starts yelling at my sister. I mean, in a very disrespectful way that you would never talk to an adult that way. You can't be here. You're, you're spreading the virus. You're, you're going to contaminate us or whatever. My sister said, well, actually, I, I was vaccinated. You know, it's stupid, but my sister's a speech therapist. And even though she's only in her 40s, she's considered, you know, top priority here in Maryland unlike in Florida, where they focused on seniors, because, you know, of course, kids are very at risk. Now, that's her business. She decided to get it. I wouldn't have, frankly, but she got the vaccine. She said, look, I'm, I'm vaccinated. And the girl said, I don't care. In my school, they, they told me that doesn't work. We can't be in a home with other people here. And her friend was mortified that her kid was acting this way. But I thought two things. Number one, once again, you see that what we've taught people is that COVID is able to violate everything. So just straight up respect for adults. You would never see this in any other context. But we could say your existence is killing me and we're brainwashing our kids to that effect. So therefore, therefore, everything goes. You could talk back to an adult like that. But number two, 
we're seeing they're brainwashing them in the schools. And she's in private school because the public schools were closed. And this is what they're teaching them. If the only purpose to having school is to teach them this thing, it's worse than ever. You know, I saw, this is unbelievable, it just came out from, I'm trying to see who put this out, Matthew Reese, Food and Health Facts. Based on a recent survey of 3,000 American adults um, by the American Psychological Association, it turns out that 61 or sorry, 42% of those surveyed had gained weight over the past year. The average weight gain was 29 pounds. 29 pounds, okay? And the thing is, it was most pronounced among younger people, of course. 52% of Generation Z adults, whatever that means, 40, what is it? 8% of millennials, 41% of Gen Xers, 37% of boomers, 25% of older adults. So it's actually the younger you get because we lock people down, we gave them anxiety, so less exercise, less being outside, more eating, more anxiety. And this is the sick irony. Not only is weight gain the antecedent to almost every health concern, but... It's also unbelievably, unbelievably the biggest risk factor in this virus itself. So we've come full circle. Every last thing that our government has done on this was counterproductive and achieved the exact opposite result of what they said. This harks back to what I said from day one with D.A. Henderson, the great epidemiologist from Hopkins. He died about 12 years ago, and he um, he wrote, or a little less than that, probably more like seven, eight years ago, he wrote a paper gaming out the idea of a lockdown, and he said that communities deal with viruses the best when they're intact, when they're healthy, when they're not panicking. So much for don't panic. Remember that this time of year, 12 months ago? How much longer are we going to go on with things that themselves demonstrate their lack of efficacy by the fact that we're yelling about it 12 months later? You know, it reminds me of, um, I was reading over the Sabbath, Isaiah 44, and I think it really speaks to where we are now in this country. Isaiah 44, 9. Those who form idols... All of them are vanity, and their treasures are of no avail. And they are their witnesses. Meaning their lack of efficacy bears witness on the fools who serve them. They neither see nor hear, nor do they know, so that they be ashamed. Who formed a god or molded an image being of no avail? Behold, all his colleagues shall be ashamed. They are smiths of a man. Let all of them gather. Let them stand. They shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The ironsmith makes an axe, and he works with coal, and with sledgehammers he fashions it, and he made it with his strong arm. Yet he is hungry, and he has no strength. He did not drink water, and he becomes faint. The carpenter stretched out a line, 
He beautifies it with a saw. He fixes it with planes. And with a compass, he rounds it. And he made it in the likeness of a man, like the beauty of a man, to sit in the house, to, to hew for himself cedars. And he took an oak tree and he reinforced it with forest trees. He planted a sapling and rain makes it grow. And it was for man to ignite. And he took from them and warmed himself. He even heated the oven and baked bread. He even made a god and prostrated himself. He made a graven image and bowed to them. Half of it he burnt with fire. On half of it he ate meat. He roasted a roast and became satiated. He even warmed himself and said, Aha, I am warm and I see fire. And what is left over from it he made for a god, for his graven image. He kneels to it and prostrates himself and prays to it. And he says, Save me, for you are my god. Neither do they know, nor do they understand, for their eyes are covered from seeing their hearts from understanding. And he does not give it thought. He has neither knowledge nor understanding to say, Half of it I burnt with fire, and I even baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and ate. And what was left from it? Shall I make for an abomination? Shall I bow to rotten wood? To provider made of ashes, a deceived heart has perverted him. And he shall not save his soul. And he shall not say... Is there not falsehood in my right hand? And it literally, that verse reminds me of this business, how they could literally champion a mask as the greatest savior of all time to the point that they are willing to shame, beat into submission, destroy human beings, kick a two-year-old off a plane, destroy a child for the remainder of his life, masking them seven hours a day. But at the same time, if you don't wear yours, my thing is worthless. They recognize it's worthless. Just like they cooked on the idolatry. They used it. It was, a, it was an image. And then they bow down to it the other half of the time. Well, knowing it doesn't work. The lack of efficacy. These masks give testimony on themselves and, and embarrass their worshipers. They wore them for a year with almost no spread in LA. And when it came... It came as quick and as deep as anywhere in the world. Czech Republic, the same thing. Doesn't matter. They keep bowing down to it. And the answer is it's not going to end until we rip the Band-Aid off. And we, in, in, in all these states where Republicans supposedly have control, we get on their case and we say, we are not doing it. And done. We don't debate. We don't question. We don't equivocate. We do. That's what the left does. That's how the mask became so powerful. We need to use the levers of power to reverse everything they do. Stop being conservative on strategy and be more conservative on ideology. As we've been talking about so many days. Which leads me to South Dakota. Now a lot of people have been shocked to hear that Christy Nome. I mean, she's holding a press conference soon, so I'm not going to get up get the latest before I get this out. But um, everyone was surprised, like, what? She's for the tranny agenda? Folks, those of you who listened to me before COVID know I used to trash her all the time. Now, I stopped because, look, you know, she was good on the lockdown, and we badly needed people, and I'll take anyone. I mean, I'll take a Democrat that joins with us to fight the lockdown. And the masking. So, you know, that was the issue of our time. I'm not going to hold it against her. But 
I mean, I've known her for years when she was in Congress. In Congress, she was a regular establishment Republican. When she became governor, she was obsessive about refugee resettlement. Trump actually said there's no refugee resettlement unless you opt in, and she actively opted her state into it. Then, again, and this is why I'm not surprised, the biggest thing people are forgetting is that last January, the South Dakota House passed a bill blocking or prohibiting castration for you know the, the tranny agenda, castrating minors. It died in the Senate, and the media reported at the time in South Dakota that the governor had concerns about it. So I already knew she was bought into it. Now, what's worse than the reason why um, Noam and the rhinos in the South Dakota Senate are against the bill, this one is on collegiate sports, or high school and collegiate sports, getting men out of female sports. The reason why she is opposing it is even more concerning than the opposition to it. So let's start from the beginning. South Dakota, this is a classic example of why we need Liberty Strike Force teams. Because you have Amazon and you have the Chamber of Commerce running every red state, believe it or not. If we don't have our voices heard, you'll have the same left-wing voices heard in blue states, heard in red states. Republicans have a 62 to 8 majority. 62 to 8 majority in the Senate, in the House, and a 32 to 3 majority in the Senate. Democrats lost two Senate seats there this last time around. They're down to their lowest number ever. And what do they do with it? We can't even affirm that a man's a man and a woman's a woman. Now, I want to just say off the bat, that even this whole business of of sports is kind of, in my view, somewhat of a distraction. If that's going to be the galvanizer to fight the licentiousness, I'll take it, and I do. But I'll just tell you, you know, I've said this before, they're totally throwing away the bathroom issue, which in my mind is much bigger, female private spaces, and just, you know, forcing tranny stuff on Catholic hospitals, and just the entire premise of it. Like, oh, it's not fair for women to compete. I mean, to me, that's almost like a side point. I mean, I agree with it, of of course. But off the bat, most Republicans have completely fought, uh, lost that battle. They'll indulge the talking point of this, that women shouldn't be, you know, men shouldn't be in female sports, just like they'll indulge the talking point of the life issue. And by the way, I think now you're seeing what I mean when I say that... Um, I'm sick of hearing about the life issue because Christy Nome promoted that issue left and right at the expense of everything else. That's frankly much more important at the time we live in. So on February 24th, South Dakota House passes HB 1217 that would prevent men from playing in female sports. And... You know, a lot of red states are passing this now. Some easier than others. And I didn't pay much attention to this because I thought it was a foregone conclusion. Like, this at least was a consensus issue. Well, not really. The House passed it by a supermajority, 50 to 17. 
But again, notice it looks like they lost about nine Republicans. And then, and again, this is why we need these Liberty Strike Force teams to, to name names. And then in the Senate, they held a hearing on it. And they actually voted it down, they, they, or, or they left it in committee. Conservatives had to use what's called a smokeout, which is the equivalent of what you have in Congress at a national level, a uh, discharge petition. If you get a majority of the members to support it on the floor, you could get it out of committee. They got the vote. It passed 2015. Now, remember, there's 32 Republicans. So they lost, uh, I mean, almost half the Republicans. So that was already a sign of trouble. But nonetheless, on the day it passed the Senate, March 8th, it happened to be International Women's Day. And Christy Nome tweaked the left by tweeting out that we're going to celebrate women's sports and bar men from them and that she was going to sign the bill. And everyone was really like, oh, man, look at that badass, you know, Christy Nome, You know, she's being awesome. But then the next week, suddenly there were reportedly meetings with Chamber of Commerce, the Sioux Falls Chamber of Commerce, Amazon, and then there were reports she was equivocating. And then on Friday, she announces that she has concerns with the bill. Now, we're going to go through her excuses and show what a joke they are. But as you well know, when we talked about last week with the New Hampshire governor, uh, veto or threatening to veto the critical race theory bill, it's not the intellectual sophistry that they're into. They don't even believe in it. It's they don't want to do it because they're too scared. They're scared of the special interests. And we're going to get to that because I think that's really important today. So first, the details. She tweets out that she she's planning to um, issue what's called recommend, recommendations as to style and form. Now, this is a term of art in the South Dakota Constitution that it's not just, oh, I don't like style of the bill. It, it's, it's a term of art that means it's basically a de facto conditional veto. And it allows the governor to issue a recommendation as to style and form and basically say, look, here are my recommendations. If you make them, the bill automatically becomes law. It's almost like it's like a middle ground. It's almost like it's on hold, but that written recommendation they send to the Senate, that letter has almost the power of a potential signature or a potential veto. So if they make it, those recommendations, it, it it automatically becomes law. If they fail to, it, it it doesn't because the recommendation almost works as a de facto veto. And she basically, you know, has a long Twitter thread and says, "Look, you know, because she was getting a lot of hate from her newfound conservative fans, and she's like, look, no, I I, I certainly don't want men in female sports. Um, I support that. I'm going to sign this bill eventually. I just have some technical issues with it." But then when she goes on to explain it, it's not so technical. She's gutting the entire bill. So first off, just procedurally, I mean, I'll leave it to people who know the South Dakota Constitution better than I do. 
Um, but to me, this is not style and form. Style and form means like you have literally have typos. So rather than going through a whole process, she just issues a recommendation. So therefore, they could just fix the typos, and then it automatically becomes law. Right? They wouldn't have given the governor this sort of power to manipulate the legislative process when she doesn't like entire sections of the bill. Right? It, 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 so clearly, it violates the state constitution what she's doing, in my mind. But, but that's besides the point. So she's like, look, there's just unintended consequences. Now, look, you know, certainly it could be true that sometimes conservatives will push things that have unintended consequences. Now, before I even get to the fact that it's substantive, it's not style, I just want to note like this general attitude of everything we want to do to evacuate. Oh, Daniel, it's too much. It's too much of a burden. You're putting burdens on private things. No, no, no. That mentality in itself, I almost always reject. Transgenderism illegal immigration, COVID fascism, these are civilization killers and they need to be uprooted in any way possible. So I don't like this like, oh, I don't like, you know, you're putting burdens on people. No. It doesn't work that way. But she gives the farm away in one of her tweets. One of her tweets in the thread, she basically says, that competing on the national stage means compliance with the national governing bodies that oversee collegiate athletics. So it's like one of these deals where she's like, no, no, no I'm, I'm all with you. I just don't like some technical things, like unintended consequences. And then she basically gives the farm away and says that, oh, well, I'm worried about the NCAA standards. Again, forgetting about the fact whether this bill even violates the NCAA standards. A lot of people are saying it doesn't. But... She's saying blatantly, it's not a matter of, you know, some technical thing. She supports the bill. It just has some gratuitous stuff in it. It's that she's scared of what the NCAA has to say about it. So right off the bat, we know she doesn't support it on substance. So that's why she's suggesting to take out the entire portion of the bill that applies to college sports. So the entire section one, you know, the section one, the main part that bans, you know, men in biological men in, in female sports, she only applies to K through 12, not college. College is the main enchilada, really. So she completely takes that out of the bill. <laughs> That's not a technical change. The entire, it's not part of the bill. The entirety of the application of the bill as it relates to collegiate sports, gone, takes out. Then she guts the entire section two of the bill, which requires athletes to verify their age, biological sex, and attest to not taking anabolic steroids every year. And she's like, nope, that is an unworkable administrative burden on the schools. Now, anyone who knows, even if you're not in a collegiate uh, athletic program, or high school athletic program, everyone knows that any student has to provide this information. There's no extra burden. They, they, they have this information. What they have to do is verify against it to make sure there aren't really males playing games with this stuff. So she's right. It is a burden in the sense that the ones who are really males will wind up getting caught. <laughs> that, I mean... 
that's the enforceability thing. Otherwise, it's not enforceable. So even on the high school one, she makes it unenforceable. Then she takes out section four, which gives the the girls and the women two um, avenues of redress. If there's a men in their program or whatever, men in their thing, they can, number one, um, have a cause of action in court to sue. And number two, it prohibits the college or high school from uh, retaliating against the, the whistleblowers, those who complain about men being placed on their teams or being forced to compete against them or whatever. And then also, the original language said that a team or a sport designated as being female is available only to participants who are female based on their biological sex. She artfully changed the language to saying it's only available to participants who are female. I'm sorry, based on their biological sex. She has that, but then she adds a clause in a recommendation based on their biological sex as reflected on the birth certificate or affidavit provided upon initial enrollment. Why would you add that line? I mean, biology is biology. So what she's in fact clearly doing is agreeing to their premise that you could change your biology on a birth certificate. Because otherwise, why would you put that in there? So again, that guts the whole bill because a tranny, what do you think they do? They say they're females. So you could, I mean, you could get a birth certificate and, and they'll, they'll change it. They'll say they're female. That's, that's the point. Unless you say somehow the word bio, biological would, would prohibit that. But then it's a contradiction. Then what, what are you doing? I mean, I would argue biology does contradict it. But I mean... You know, you add a line to that, 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 that's very disturbing. So I think we've established to anyone with a brain, these are not technical changes. She doesn't want it enforceable. And I think, I think Christy Nome is being honest. She doesn't support men and female sports, but she doesn't support the bill because she doesn't want it enforceable. And I think the reason is not because Christy Nome is a flaming pro tranny, whatever. I don't think she's a cultural Marxist personally. I think she is like a typical Chamber of Commerce Republican that she's terrified of them. They, they met with her. They yelled at her. And that's it. She's terrified. But this is what I meant when I said that the rationale is actually worse. I would feel more comfortable if I knew she was pro-tranny. What this tells us is that every policy that Christy Nomer, all these Republicans do, it's all based on big business. And as you know, big business, they are worse cultural Marxists than Hollywood and the media and academia. They are the worst. They're destroying our country. What, 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 what these red state Republicans keep doing, I heard this in Missouri, they're pushing this transgender real estate stuff. They're like, we need to attract them to our state. No! It's not just like, oh, you know, I want to uphold conservative values even if I'm willing to forego revenue or business or certain people moving to say, no, that's part of it. The reason they're giving is worse than the opposition. We don't want these people in the state. 
This is exactly how you turn red states into blue states. You make them so obsessively low tax to a fault where this imbalanced low tax cultural Marxism and, and fiscal socialism too. So we have individual welfare, we have Obamacare, we have Medicaid expansion, we have the healthcare cartel, we have tranny stuff, we have the homosexual agenda, we have everything going on, refugee resettlement, but it's low taxes. So what that allows them to do is, you know, these self, uh, selfish businesses are like, hey, they have a couple less, reg- reg- fewer regulations, they have lower taxes, but then they have all our stuff there. So they go and move into the states, and then... Guess what? Now they own you. Now they're big stakeholders in the workforce in your state. And now they get to look at you and say, look, hey, Christy Gnome, you know, those jobs you want here. Well, now you're going to become like a blue state. This is the crux of why we have 19 supermajority legislatures and 23, 24 trifectas. Yet we don't have a single red state in America. It's because, see, in some ways it would be better if they're high tax. At least they wouldn't be more attracted to move from the blue states. But they do. And that's how they bring the culture down. This is more important than the tax issue. It's worth it to be independent from this stuff. If we're, if we're going to have some place to go, this is what we have to do. Make the business climate as pro-business as you can be. But make the culture as pro-American as can be too. And that will force them to pick sides. They only do this. They only lobby because they know they can. They know how to pick their lock. But if we made it clear, no, we'll give you the lower tax and regulatory burden, right-to-work status. But, buddy, this stuff's not going to fly. Now, I was speaking with my friend Barbara Ehart. So she's the one in the Idaho House who passed Idaho's bill that was signed into law that was similar to this. She went to South Dakota and testified in the Senate on behalf of the bill. And she made this point that the big mistake there was um, Christy Nome didn't sign it right away. She let it lay over. This is the biggest lesson. We think we have to do things incrementally and slowly. My goal is to have strike force teams in place in these states that by next legislative session, 2022, we could hit the ground running and just blitzkrieg them. Boom, 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 boom. 10 bills just completely change the culture of the state to what it should have been all along. And these guys don't even know what to do. When you go and you equivocate, the other side mobilizes against you. If you have super majorities, you should just do it. Do it. Lightning speed like the left does. They didn't debate over, dude, are masks really effective? What about all the harm to kids? No, we're just doing this and it became normal. We need to do the same thing and it becomes normal. That is the lesson from South Dakota. But again, it's very important to understand broadly this problem of this low-tax socialism. And it also ties into the federal level where the Democrats are considering upping the corporate tax. 
We'd be stupid to get in their way. Not that I think it's a good economic model to have higher taxes. Not that I think we're not going to wind up paying for it. We will. But I want people to feel the pain, and I certainly want the corporations to feel the pain. We can't allow them to promote cultural Marxism on the cheap. America is worse than Europe. You know, I forgot to start with this, but I meant to start the show with this. We have, you know, remember the Arab Spring in 2014 when you had the Muslim Brotherhood like rebelling against all the leaders in the Arab world and overthrowing them? In Europe, it almost looks like a Liberty Spring. All over Europe, people are demonstrating against lockdowns, against the mask mandates. In Austria, the police took off their helmets in solidarity with the people in Vienna. And everyone's asking the question, where the hell is this in America? Why is Europe leading on liberty? And I'll tell you why. Europe is socialist. America is worse than socialist. It's venture socialist, and it's low-tax socialist. Meaning, we have just enough conservatism in America to make it the worst of all worlds. It's a package deal if you want it to work. Because what it does is... People in Europe, they don't have the printing press, the dollar currency, like we do, where we can manipulate it and mail people $10,000 in their bank accounts again and again. They have high taxes. They don't have these subsidies. So people feel the pain more. Here, we shield them from the pain. We shield all the businesses from the pain. No. I'm going to sick the Democrats on them. You want the Democrats' cultural Marxism? Well, you're going to get their fiscal Marxism too. I know. Don't start yelling at me. I know it's not a good economic model. But what we have now isn't anyway. We don't have free markets. So the worst thing we can do is low taxes, but fiscal and social Marxism and everything else. No. No split the baby. It's one package deal. That needs to be the message of red states. Otherwise, you have the worst thing of all. What's worse than a boycott of red states is for blue people to move into red states and corporations to take over the political culture of the red states. So they're no longer red at all. We've painfully learned this lesson in many parts of the country. We better start doing it in places like Idaho and South Dakota before it's too late. No more low-tax socialism. That's the lesson here. Christy Nome, more than others, is not inherently, in my mind, a social liberal. She's scared of the Chamber of Commerce. She's scared of Amazon. That's the problem. We need them to be more scared of us than they are of the bad guys. This is going to be our challenge. But again, remember, there were 12 Republicans in the Senate, eight or nine in the House, that voted against this bill. Who are they? They need to be marked. I don't have a South Dakota leader yet, but if any of you feel you you want to be one, you could email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com, Sign up for our team at conaction.network. I'm working on Florida and Ohio now. So again, it takes takes time. We already have a North Dakota team. North Dakota is looking a lot better than South Dakota now. 
But this is what it takes. We need teams to combat this. You're going to hear a lot of noise. I don't want to focus on Christy Nome's personality. Is she a hero or a zero? To me, that's not even that important. It's what this represents. This is what happens in every red state. We're talking about a 32 to 3 majority, and we can't even get Trini stuff passed. Because it ultimately did pass with the end run around the committee, which voted it down. But they don't have a supermajority, if you notice, the House does, but not the Senate, to override her veto. And that's why they have to indulge her request. So this is really, really important. Now, one other thing I do want to mention here about the South Dakota saga here is that for once, this is actually a big national civilization issue being dealt with in a state legislature that my colleagues are focusing on. I mean, notice conservative national media, you have obviously the Alliance Defending Freedom, and you have people really weighing in. And again, as we're talking, the governor is holding a press conference. So, you know, by the time you hear this, you'll know the outcome of that and what direction she goes in. But the point is, she clearly is feeling the heat. And I've said this all the time. If we if we applied this much pressure and focused on legislation that matters, this is what we've been doing the last couple of months. You could get better outcomes in almost every state. I would welcome my colleagues to do this more often. This is where it's at. Focusing on the tranny issues and illegal immigration and election law and obviously the COVID fascism and the mask stuff at a local state level in red states is where national voices have a huge influence. Unless you're a total rhino dirtbag that is just totally don't care. And then in that case, you should easily be able to primary the guy. You know, most of these governors do care if you have, you know, the Blaze and the Federalist and and even National Review is going, I, I believe, is, is is harping on it this time. So, I mean, you have all these people and and uh, Fox News and Newsmax and everyone bang away at a Republican governor. Believe me, they're going to be in crisis mode. So it makes a big difference. Look, I'm just seeing a headline. The Republican Mesa mayor, John Giles from Mesa, Arizona. I've been impressed so far with the administration. This is a Republican mayor. Mesa, Arizona, and I know he also pushed some sort of tranny thing there. These people don't usually get pressure. You know, Christy Nome got pressure from the bad guys. So she did her thing. Now she's getting pressure from the good guys, and it's having its influence. Imagine if we had standing committees to do this in every every state. So I think this is this is a huge, huge issue. Huge issue. Um, wanted to end off today with, and, and I know I didn't get to some of the other news of the day. You know, there's a lot of stuff with attacks on Asian Americans. Um, those of you who listen to the show know there's nothing new. It's almost all black supremacism. It's BLM types doing it, the Farrakhan types. The same people who basically attacked the Jews in New York on subways are attacking Asians. It's the same thing. Um, and, of course, they're making it about whites because when blacks attack people, it's really whites doing it, you know, whatever. So might cover some of those stories. 
Like I said, we have the military that said, this is from a Clatchy DC, during military training sessions to address extremism in the ranks. Some service members have challenged why the Pentagon is not treating the violence during racial injustice protests last summer as equal to the to the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol. It's funny the way Clatchy says it. The racial injustice protests and the deadly riot. Ironically, it turns out that when we say deadly, it was deadly only in the sense that Trump supporters were killed. Now, now that we know the truth on that, whereas the other ones were deadly, they you know it was the the rioters killed people. But anyway, they say that the two events are viewed as equivalent by some troops has caught the Pentagon's attention in its effort to educate service members and extremists that extremist views and activity on either side of the political spectrum go against the oath they took when they joined the military, the top enlisted leader told reporters on Thursday. So there we have that in the military where they don't know what to do when troops are asking them in these bull sessions they have now, um, hey, uh, how come we're never hearing about the more ubiquitous violence on the other side? So they're not sure what to do with those those challenging questions. Very vexing in our transgender military. But anyway, I just want to end off with an idea that I'm going to work on more in the future. But a friend of mine who's also a neighbor, he's an attorney, he was pushing me on this for a while, and I think it's a great idea. You know, he, he, had, he was telling me his experience at low levels of government school boards, even homeowners associations, you yell at them, it doesn't seem to help. Now, again, I would argue that you do it in large numbers, you recruit candidates, it's definitely going to work. But he he felt that a better idea, starting with the mask mandate in these schools, is to have a bunch of pro se lawsuits. So individual personal lawsuits without a lawyer. Without a lawyer, because sometimes there's benefits to doing it alone. You know, the courts allow you to amend your complaints more if you don't have an attorney. And in all of our groups, we're putting out on our forms, are you a lawyer in barred in your state? So a lot of part of the problem is no one wants to put their name on these lawsuits. Very few people do. So what we could do is we could have lawyers help draft and, and they only have to be one or two page complaints. Here's how it violates OSHA standards, ADA. My child is coming home um, with headaches. He's having trouble breathing. He's having trouble concentrating. I mean, there's no issue of standing. This is direct standing. If you have a child in that school district, you can bring a lawsuit, especially in these states where the governor took it off, and now you're battling your, your local school board. Flood them with a bunch of pro se lawsuits. Again, the goal here is not class action. It's the opposite. You don't want one lawsuit. Because frankly, you know, what we've seen, the judges are awful anyway. They're not going to give us a good constitutional ruling. Flood them with a bunch of statutory violations. The point is not to win. This is what the left does. Have Don't just say, hey, let's get together and have one person in each district. Have many people file it, and and, and I'm going to work on just some samples. You, you you the first count is just count one. Here are the facts. I'm John Smith. You know John and M- Emily Smith. Our daughter Kayla is in fifth grade, and she's coming home every day um, with headaches. There is no reason she needs to wear one. The government is not showing us the evidence. Here is the evidence of the 
harm to my child, yet there is no evidence that this is effective for children, that it's needed for children. Where is the statutory authority? Even if you're going to do it, it violates OSHA's standards on PPE. The courts have to respond to that. Now, local governments usually either have insurance or they have trust funds to deal with this. So you have one person, like, they might settle. But if you have a bunch of people flooding them, they get scared. So, you know, I'm going to try to work out with people to write up a little bit of a guide, a how-to, how to file them, how to draft them. You could do it alone. It's not that hard. And this is going to force discovery. They're going to have to bring down their so-called experts and things like that. Just start thinking of this idea in your school districts. When we have our people together with these state teams and divide them by region, we could do this in every county. And I'd have multiple people, as many people as you can. In this case, redundancy is actually our friend. Each person have a little, little different thing. Especially if a person is a, a child that's more, you know, special needs, whether they're um, they have hearing, speech, or language issues, or maybe autism, or whatever it is, that will be one thing. Another person gets migraine headaches from it, and you just throw the kitchen sink at them. It's it's pretty cheap to file in most places. I would file it in federal court because we'll cite federal statutes as well as the Constitution. And boom, here we are. This is what needs to be done. So if you want to help on our steering committee, we'll, we'll set up a team to craft the legal talking points, the process for people, and we'll send it out through our team leaders when we get them up. Or heck, I might even write an article on this. I'll just have to be careful how, how I write it. And you could take that as a guide. Anyone could do this. Some people are scared for retaliation, but others of you are not scared. So work with people who aren't. This is the only way we're going to get rid of that. And we need to start thinking about this on other issues as well. This is part of my point. We need to stop being conservative in tactics. We need to be liberal in our tactics. We need to be liberal, all-encompassing, all the above in our commitment to fighting for liberty. Folks, thanks for listening. Send this out to 50, 100 of your, of your friends and relatives. Let's make this show famous. Let's get the word out. Sign up for conaction.network. Our teams will have a better URL in the coming days. Till tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you for listening.